On today's episode is Shen Heng. He's the VP and head of data at Punch. We're going to discuss the difference in machine learning software development between B2B and B2C companies, the value of AI, and how to construct a successful AI team. Enjoy the show. Hey, Shen, uh, thanks for joining. Feel free to tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Hey, thank you, Raj. This is Shin. I'm from Punch. I'm a VP of data. And my team's full responsibility in Punch is to building machine learning and advanced data products to serve our customers. And before Punch, I was working in Uber, in StuffUp, and a couple other companies. Being working in both B2B and B2C companies, I have certainly experienced quite a few failures and obstacles, and I also get some successes as well. So today is my pleasure to share my experience with the audience. And uh, I generally feel I have two goals. You know, I'm just going to talk about the difference between B2B and B2C for the machine learning or data engineering developers on the call. You can actually feel whether you like B2B or B2C better. Another one, which I think my topic can serve a purpose, is for the ML or engineering leaders who is working on this space to understand, hey, if I'm selling a product to a, in a B2B setting, is my project going the right way? Is there any missing points that is in my roadmap? Hopefully, I can you know, help fill some gaps. Awesome. Let's get into it. I know you have a lot of experience, so uh, why don't we start with that? I guess when you look at you know, B2B and B2C. Obviously, there's two distinct markets that people are going after for their business. I guess for you and your opinion, how does that change kind of the machine learning software development mindset experience? How do, how do you see that? Definitely. So I'm going to talk in, let's see, I'm going to say in two aspects. One, I'm going to talk about a major distinction of the products in B2B and B2C. Another one, I'm going to talk about some processes I see which are quite different. So in terms of number one, which is you know kind of common sense that people tend to ignore from time to time, is B2B, you sell your product to a business enterprise. And the B2C, you sell your product to a consumer. And sometimes you don't even sell that product to a consumer. You basically have, let's imagine Facebook, right? You have your product embedded into a Facebook app and your consumer or your customer immediately enjoys that. The difference in B2B and B2C, the difference of the usage determines quite different in terms of the product design and the development. From a machine learning standpoint, you know, number one, you know, in when I was working in B2C companies, a lot of our focus is really on building the cutting-edge model. And the team is building model and building some, you know, Flask APIs so we can service from outside. We don't necessarily go too much beyond it. I mean, all of us are very good machine learning algorithm developers. And this is also what we are being hired for. But in a B2B company, for example, when we really build a, a product, you will be involved in product marketing. Uh, we have sales team, right? So you're going to be invited in so many meetings. Oftentimes, you're writing documents so that your sales team can sell them. So you need to basically make sure that, literally make sure that your machine learning model and your machine learning product can be presented in a way that is sellable. In a B2C company, 
you don't have to deal with it from time to time just because you know individual consumer as long as they see the app is working very well they don't necessarily care but in the b2b is quite different do you feel like that collaboration on the b2c side if somehow they the you know machine learning team was able to come into some of those focus groups and or you know discussions that maybe sales has or marketing has do you think that would even help you know that team service you know the b2c side as well as uh you know the b2b side uh the b2b side is a strong yes <laughs> b2c i did think a little about why not i answer the comment on the first part the b2b side is literally a strong yes meeting the senior machine learning developers, especially like the machine learning engineering managers on the team, your interaction with the sales team and with you know marketing becomes really important. It's just because ultimately, right? It's really, I mean, one thing I also need to comment is if for everyone who actually worked in B2B companies before, the sales cycle is so long. It's so hard to sell a perfect product. I would say it's so hard to convince a CMO or CTO of your counterparty that your product is really adding a lot of value. And uh, the machine learning software developers have to supply a lot of documents, right? Basically, make sure that uh, it's really working. But one another thing that is actually really to both B2B and B2C, but B2B make it very, very apparent, which I call the unified architecture. In B2C, when I was in B2C companies, uh, maybe I don't see that very well, but compared to B2B, the so-called architecture or unified architecture is not so important because you are only serving one enterprise. As long as your architecture serving one enterprise, it may just be okay. Right? You can do that for a year or two years without even worrying about it. In B2B companies, let's imagine every company is shooting for something called infinite horizontal scale, right? You got to make sure that your architecture works not today for customer A. Hopefully, customer B, when he or she came in, have a very similar requirement and you can still support it. And uh, that architecture design is actually more in B2B and hopefully in B2C, if... Um, they can borrow some of the ideas when they actually put the unified architecture discussion into their roadmap, I think would really benefit. But I also believe in B2B, you just have to do it. Just because you build an architecture, it works in day one, you're happy. But I'm very sure in day seven, somebody came in, going to tell you, okay, sorry, you just have to <laughs> add a new feature, and which also sometimes means you have to redesign quite a bit of your workflow. Of course. I guess when it comes to uh, generalization and customization, since you just touched on that, you know, it's a, probably a, a dilemma that's going to be faced uh, until the end of time. I mean, what's your overall opinion on, on what ML engineers should be paying attention to? I think it's one thing, just uh, what I definitely feel uh, when working with B2B companies is uh, at the so-called bottom-up becomes way more important. So of course, I have to explain what is the bottom-up, what is the top-down, right? Top-down in a normal software engineering or software development industry, you know, the product managers, the designers have everything in their mind. They draw everything out, you know, in one of the, you know, product design software, right? And then they understand the market, they do consumer research, and they literally kind of get things lined up and then you do it. 
in B2B, especially for machine learning, because the gap between, again, I come down to the buyer, which is basically the CTOs and the CMOs of the company, and versus the software you're building. And uh, it's a lot of things that become very tactical or technical. Because again, as I said, we sell the product to a C-level and usually they're pretty sophisticated to ask a very technical question. Not like a consumer, <laughs> you know, B2C people don't really ask it. That which means that as a software engineer, especially as a very senior machine learning engineer, when you build your architecture, when you build your, your software, you really need to understand, are you really answering the question of your direct consumer, which is the purchaser, is basically the CTO and the CMO. And then in the meetings, I mean, I've been to quite a few product marketing meetings. If there are questions, you need to give product managers your strict interpretation of those requirements are, and then kind of help the product management to further refine or perfect their product roadmap. And in B2C, it's less. I'm not saying that B2C don't do that, but it's less of a concern in B2B because the gap I mentioned, I really think you know, a SaaS company or enterprise software company, all the engineering leaders should become a lot more bottom-up or upfront with the opinions and all designs you have and then share that with your product leaders. Yeah, I think collaboration, uh, especially at the B2B level, even B2C, I think it's a key to, to success, especially from a machine learning perspective. I guess when you're looking at kind of the development of machine learning and kind of uh, deployment, monitoring, DevOps coming into play, like how are you seeing that affect kind of uh, things on your end? Thank you for mentioning that. I was about to talk about it, but then um, thank you, you, you mentioned that again. So one thing is actually, it's not really a, you know, kind of a sophisticated opinion, but it becomes very apparent in a B2B company. You know, in a B2B company, usually, I guess I said, right, everybody wants to shoot for the so-called infinite horizontal scale, which means that you build a product which works everywhere. That's the perfect scenario. And then the problem is you build a machine learning model. We all know, right, machine learning model Behind it is data. And in this setting, if you work with an enterprise, you basically have data at individual enterprises. Of course, every single company, the data look very different. When you tune a model, make sure the model is working, the parameters are different, you know, or sometimes even the data itself has some you know, schema evolution along the way, right? So it is a pretty important as a machine learning engineer or a tech leader you probably reach really, really triple index and double index on all the things that is going to hurt your horizontal scaling. Right? Basically have the horizontal scaling in your mind. And I really think about what can make it not happen. Right? A lot of things, for example, give you one example. In B2C, I build a very sophisticated data pipeline. Everything flows through until one day I have the data schema I want so that I can build my machine learning model really tune the hyperparameters in like even like a day so that I have the best parameters and serve my uh, consumers. That thing, think about this way, whatever you're doing there, if you think about you want to do that for one customer, it takes one day. But if you do that for 100 customers, you don't want to do that for 100 days, right? And also, hopefully, your process really works for every single customer you have. So when they design an architecture or they actually, you really build their models, 
uh, whether your model is really customized or generic, whether your data pipeline is customized or generic, will become really like two things you kind of debate in your mind all the time. And I really hope, you know, the audience here can also take that <laughs> into consideration when they build their you know, enterprise software and their things tends to get really complicated, but non scalable very quickly. Another one is, um, another one I think it's, um, it's along the same line, but just a little bit more scaling issue, right? Let's imagine right now there's a new term called ML Ops or called ML DevOps. What they use is basically use the DevOps technologies to deploy and monitor your models, right? It's the same argument. If you try to deploy and monitor for one customer, basically your own company, it tends to be easier operationally as well. It can be a little bit manual, just be very honest. It works. But uh, if you think about, if you do that for 200 customers, you have 200 screens, very unlikely you can monitor 200 customers' you know, model performance by using your eyes, right? Definitely not efficient. Yeah, then a lot of things came in. For example, there are companies who build the so-called outlier detection or anomaly detectors to survey things out. That becomes more important. In B2C, as I said, you know, I can tell you in my early days, I just look at the curves. I have my view of whether, you know, my model, my machine learning model is doing well. It's not drifting, right? I can do that even just on my command line as well. But in B2B, you can't do it. If as a DevOps leader or engineering leader, when you try to build a DevOps components into an ML pipeline, just make sure that those things become the all this scaling issue you kind of popped up, becomes a priority so that you don't really uh, kind of scramble. I'll give you one example is, uh, you know, you sell to one customer, it's working, you're happy, it's kind of manual. But then all of a sudden, your sales team scale from one to 10, then you start saying, no, we can't do that because now I basically, I can't keep up with the, the speed of the sales. No, that totally makes sense. I guess shifting gears, the value of anything, it's always difficult to always put a numerical number on it or even something that's more tangible. And I know with AI, it's getting better in the sense of understanding the value as it becomes more prevalent in all aspects of life. So I was curious in your opinion, how do you present AI's value as a head of data? You're going into a meeting with executives. I mean, how do you overall position kind of the value that you guys can bring to the table? So one thing I can say, which is also a big lesson I learned. So basically in machine learning, we talk about predictivity or predicting power versus interpretability, right? So basically whether your model is having the best prediction power or you can really interpret your model in front of audience, that game is going forever. Including today, when people go into deep learning, it gets even harder. It's really hard to understand what features really working and what thing is really not working. So one thing I learned, which is actually quite important when even in a B2B company, you talk to your C-level or your VPs, is to literally make sure that I actually learned that lesson myself is every single thing you want to present, right? You better just call it out. Whether at this moment, you are really chasing for the power of prediction or you're really chasing for interpretability. So give you one example, let's imagine I'm doing really some sort of, uh, let's call it a CLV prediction, right? 
CLV prediction or customer lifetime value prediction is being used in all the marketing teams. For certain slides, when you truly eke out the power of your CLV predictor, at this current slide, for example, you try to figure out, okay, a 5% better prediction power is going to get you, say, $4 million, okay? So that thing you can simulate on top of the simulator a little bit later. Let's imagine you can simulate. That is fine, but you also kind of want to let the audience know over here you're using a model with these features. In the model itself, it's really hard, for example. Even deep learning is even worse, but even in any kind of assemble models like XGBoost or Random Forest, it's not really hard to really understand the model is really interpretable to any marketing managers. But you can call them out. You tell them here, I know your company is trying to, for example, further improve the accuracy of your CLV predictor. We can do that for you, which, you know, with my simulator, I can tell you if I can get you 5% more accuracy, I can get you, say, 4 or $5 million. Of course, this is all hypothetical numbers. And then they will start understanding it. But if you don't do that to tell them here you're chasing prediction power or you're chasing interpretability, people start getting a little confused. They start trying to ask actually both. And I'd rather, I think even I learned a presentation skill, sometimes I just directly, just from the you know, outset, I tell the audience here I'm chasing one versus another. So that I don't really confuse the audience. I try to sell the value of my AI at this moment for prediction power and do tell people my model is literally some sort of a black box, which means that I can't just really explain to you which feature plus which feature plus which feature really work, okay? If that doesn't really work for a certain product, of course, we go to some sort of linear product, like, for example, logic regression or linear regression, where we can chase for interpretation power, interpretability, but then we also tell the audience we may lose the accuracy a little bit. Are you okay with it? Some companies said, yes, I can tell you, companies we worked with, they are okay to sacrifice that, which is fine, but we want to talk that up front. So it sounds like to create the best value, you want to make sure that you understand the business drivers behind the data. And then by understanding that, you can really narrow in on predictivity or interpretability. That's a tough word to say, by the way. (laughs) Um, And then that way, you really can make sure you're driving home the bottom line. Because I think when you're going in to show value, you want to tell them what you can do and then show them based on the models, you know, what you're anticipating or expecting. And I think all of those have to tie into the business aspects of, you know, the goals of the company. And I think sometimes without doing that, then you're left open, uh, tons of questions and then too much ambiguity for it. Yeah. Tell your rush. You actually, uh, summarize it better for me. <laughs> so one thing, yeah, exactly. So you basically, uh, if you try to present your product, especially some sophisticated ones like machine learning to your to a customer, even to your C-level, and make sure that you understand what their needs are, right? Are they chasing for a better model? Are they chasing for interoperability so that they can do some, you know, do some tuning around it? If you understand that, we will actually ease up or actually reduce a lot of repetitions in your product development just because, you know, it's going back and forth. It's a lot of uh, developer time uh, wasted. And the one additional thing I added, which I think is very interesting, I didn't really do that in B2C, and in B2B is actually quite successful. I call it a simulator. So what is that? It's a simulator. Is um, 
Yeah, let's imagine um, in a B2C company, we have a lot of analysts or the data science teams. We do a lot of opportunity sizing, right? They try to make sure that, you know, 1%, you know, improvement in CDR, which will amount to, you know, many, many million dollars of something for the business. So people do that. I mean, opportunity sizing in B2C as well. In B2B, one thing I feel is actually pretty important, also a lot difficult to do is whether you can simulate it. Once you simulate, it's less about A-B testing where you do something which is kind of narrow. You do that for two weeks. You really do a long-term, like a mind experiment, a call a simulator where you basically baked in the influence of your machine learning model into how you change the consumer behavior. And then you build a simulator out of it and you really show people, hey, if you imagine, you know, your product can influence customer, you know, CTR or CVR, you know, 1% and 0.1% as one scenario, but 2% and 0.5% in another scenario, you really project the future out, right? Show them, hey, if you get here, what is really the business outcome versus another one, which tend to do very well in a presentation or sales motion. More than sales, what I mean is also really good for Internal discussion is basically you truly understand from the simulator actually what are the long-term effects you're chasing for, which is something Punch we're kind of doing as well. And it's, I'm going to get pretty complicated because you know the vertex is very, very complicated. Not like the 2% you know, improvement in conversion rate, always be 2%. You can really build it out, for example, 2% today, but then kind of decay and use that to see, hey, you know, how much is your machine learning is adding value to the company for the first six months and all the way to a year. And then, you know, the, the, the trajectory will actually give you a lot of information. Yeah, I mean, if you can have your simulations, you know, go out that far, then more information about the future always should make you make better decisions in the present. So that makes sense. I guess the last thing we wanted to touch on was, you know, constructing the right AI team and what that means. I know everybody, you know, forms different types of teams. I think about sports and how, you know, different teams have different strengths and weaknesses. I think there's consistency with um, all successful teams. So I do think there's some components that go into play. And obviously you have to have the right talent in the right places to be successful. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on kind of your opinion on how you go about kind of constructing the right, you know, AI team. So yeah, I can think about it in three aspects. I'll say it that way. So number one is I call the hardcore technologies, also the so-called geeks. You know, in the market, right, we have the leaders like Google and Facebook. Because there are so many companies who build the AI algorithms and also the scalable data pipelines. So we need people to take them into our own business and then really build scalable models. They are the best technologies on the market, which can really you know, translate the business problems into a mass problem and solve it. And the geeks are really the most sought after talent kind of everywhere in the software industry. The second one is, uh, I call them the generalist, or if I use the term, another term is called evangelist. <laughs> so it's uh, those people, uh, they really understand AI and they can build models and, and the two models in the quiet times. And they may not be your best technologist, but however, during the crunch time, when there is a sales motion, 
they can be your solution architect. They go to the sales meetings, they join product managers to help the product managers to pitch their machine learning product uh, in a better way. And uh, the last one, actually, I think is uh, also quite important. It's actually very important is the leaders. So, um, you know, Pantry is a small company. We don't really need to have a lot of hierarchies. But I feel from a technology leadership standpoint, I feel we definitely need a, you know, any company really needs like a one person who is the either by title or by job function, the head of ML. It's basically the leader on the technology side who can work with the product managers to build the product out. And then one thing, one distinction I called out um, previously is uh, this uh, technology leader that everyone's looking for can use his or her strategic thinking to influence the business and the product strategy. Basically, I call it a bottom-up approach. Uh, I think that's also something what I consider a major distinction between you know, engineering managers or technical leaders of a B2C and B2B companies. And for B2B company, I think it's uh, really to the benefit of the company long-term to have such a, a technology leader who can really be your bridge between product and the technology. Yeah, so it sounds like you start from the top, you need a good leader that can be influential and understand the product roadmap and then be able to articulate that to their team and also ask the right business questions to make sure then the team is modeling the right things. And then you need a good combination of strong AI algorithmic type of people that really can scale the data and really focus in on that technical aspect. And then, you know, other folks that are very solid at, you know, building and tuning the models and working through that way. So I think that kind of team would give you guys uh, a good ability to uh, knock down any um, ML projects or AI initiatives. Yeah, thank you. I think you summarized very well. I hope so. <laughs> no, yeah, that's the goal, right? You, you're only as strong as your leader and you're only as strong as your weakest link. I guess there's a lot of ways to think about how you construct the right team. But I think uh, the one thing to me that always is most important that everybody needs to be rowing in the same direction, whether you know, you're know you extremely talented or not. If everybody is rowing in the same direction, then you have uh momentum going in the right direction. So Shen, it's been a pleasure. I think there was a lot of great value, um, especially for everybody out there that's uh, in the machine learning world. I guess if somebody is interested to uh, you know, connect with you or, or ask any questions, would LinkedIn be the best place to uh, ping you at? Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Well, everyone, uh, appreciate uh, you listening. And until next time, have a great day. Thanks. 